Thrive, flourish, unleash your buried treasure. This is the Exponentially Empowered Podcast with Joel Bine. Through conscious action and authentic self-connection, empower yourself to write your own script. Excited to be joined by Ali Bazan, who is a Praxis graduate, discoverpraxis.com. She is social media marketer at Acton Academy Placer in Sacramento, where she's also editor and producer of the Essential Eleven podcast, which is a stellar podcast with, uh, talking about education targeted towards youth and bringing on some big time guests and she is simply a creative and very purpose-driven person so welcome Allie. Thank you for having me I appreciate it. My pleasure so let's start with your earliest sort of experiences with school and education. Some people you know I mean right now you're working for Action Academy which is very self-directed learning uh, environment, which is, of course, not conventional. I'm curious if you had more conventional experience growing up, and how has how did that evolve? What's your relationship with school and education? Definitely had a super conventional experience. Um, grew up at a uh, super super duper small place, uh, very tiny town in Michigan. I can point to it on my hand, um, and. So I kind of want to preface this with, I was a terrible kid. Um, very, like, <laughs> I was such, I got into a lot of trouble. Um, and I remember describing it in a blog post one time as, uh, I was just so curious about things. It just got me into a lot of trouble. Um, but yeah, I, uh, so went through the standard public school system and looking back on it now, um, there's a lot of things about the public school system that did not benefit me. I wish that I would have had something more like Acton when I was growing up. I think that would have been far more conducive for the, uh, the route that I ended up taking and for who I was growing up as a kid. Um, there's just a lot of things that when you come away from the standardized education system, uh, when you come away from that and you see that something else can work better, you start to question a lot of, well, why, why does standardized schooling doesn't do it this way? Why do they, uh, why are they so specific about the standards that don't actually matter? And now more than ever, those things don't matter. Um, but going back into my own experiences, um, I, was I was always a creative. Um, I would see what uh, other kids were doing and always wanted to be good at that too. And my, I feel like my, my education system experience was pretty standard. Um, ended up winning homecoming queen uh, high school. That was a really weird accomplishment because I was not 
the kind of person that I would think would stereotypically win that. <laughs> um, but so you got in trouble a lot. You were you were sort of creative and curious, and that didn't fit so well, huh? Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of different factors growing up that that caused me to get into trouble. Um, but I I wasn't the way I would describe my mindset as a kid is uh, you'll you'll find when you're in the education system that the girls and boys tend to learn very specifically different ways. Boys need to be able to move but the standardized system wants them to sit still and do the worksheet um and girls are much more we're just much more agreeable by nature and so we're it's easier for us to just sit and listen and do the work um but i was more like a boy um so i didn't like to sit still i would like to talk to people i always have loved people i've always loved talking to people i've always loved i'd rather doodle and and in my sketchbook than work on this math worksheet. And I didn't find any, I think that was the biggest thing about public school for me is that there, ju there was just no buy-in. There was nothing that I could look at within the public school system at the age that I was and go, oh, okay, this, is, this has a purpose and there's a reason why we're doing this. It, for me, it was, everyone just goes to school this is just what we do and then eventually in 18 in a few years you'll get to leave and that's it and in my mind as a kid i never saw that end point of what happens after it's just what's current what's happening you don't see the importance of good grades and you don't see the importance of acting appropriately in a system where it's only rewarded with a letter like a grade so so it sounds like you kind of maintained your own will right where oftentimes kids just kind of go along and they might have that sense of uh sense of purpose and will and autonomy and the, the desire to be independent and then you know at, speaking as someone who's 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 taught uh every single grade level k through 12 i can really see this um you know there's often a, a loss of of that will over time, but it sounds like you, you maintain that. And you can, I'm curious if you can speak to, you know, why, like, like, what is it about you that is it just kind of just in your DNA and it's just innate, like, is there anything that you can speak to about like, why is it that you didn't want to go along? That's a really good question. You know, I do feel like there was a point towards the end of high school where that sense of will kind of dropped off because I was having so much of the, the college talk thrown at me. I even had a class, I don't know if this was exclusive to our school or if it was a Michigan thing. We had a class called Junior Seminar and it was essentially us picking out careers and preparing for the, the ACT. And it was around that point that um, you know, the thought was, okay, this is serious. I am, I am leaving high school soon. Um, what next? And then everyone's like, college. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but I found that a lot of my will after that point where it came back was uh, it when specific people would enter my life who I found a reason that it was worth, I guess, defying them that's where it came back. Uh, I always have this drive to prove people wrong. 
even even in the public school system, this would be the case where someone would say, "Oh, you can't do that. You can't um, you can't do the talent show and and you know sing well and have people appreciate your voice." And I'm like, "Well, watch me." Uh, but even yeah, I had I I did try college for a while, um, and it was probably the worst experience of my life. Um, one of them. <laughs> And which I'm lucky to say that that's the worst, you know, the, but I had, I had moved to Florida with a, with a boyfriend and we were there for three days and he broke up with me. And I remember breakup conversation in the car and he was essentially telling me, I don't know why, I don't know why you decided to do this, which he was a conversation we'd had. Um, I don't know why you decided to do this and I don't think you can and I just remember that lit a fire in me after that point that still is there where I'm like I am going to to do whatever I set my mind to and defy you and I mean I carry I carry that energy with me until it's used up I'm not angry about it it's just I see the productivity in proving people wrong and using that as energy and and so I tend to do that a lot. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so incredible. It's it's really speaking at the core of the this podcast, honestly, where we talk about empowerment. You know, what does that mean other than you know engaging your own volition, right? Choosing to heighten your consciousness and engage your will and, and live with purpose. You know, one of the six pillars of self-esteem by Nathaniel Brennan, which we talk about a lot on the show is is living with purpose, you know, and that, that means having that intentionality, having that, that conviction, you know, and so when someone's, and then when someone says, you can't do that, it's just, it's just, and especially for people like you, it really is, it lights that fire, and it just reminds me of, I don't know if you're a basketball person, but it's just reminding you of, of Michael Jordan, and there's this documentary, The Last Dance, did you see that? Uh, my friend actually just told me today to watch yeah, well, he, I get, he, he was so competitive. It's, it's un, unreal and inspiring. And, but, but he would actually, you know, he would make up stories for himself that somebody was, was uh, saying he couldn't do something just so he could be that much more competitive. Um, but yeah, it really just speaks to this, this uh, again, the heightening of the will. It's, it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. The uh, adversity is always it can be such a good thing if you're intentional if if you take that and decide to uh grow from it rather than letting adversity kick your ass that's that's what separates the victims from from the winners in life yeah yeah because we all have different types of um cards are dealt dealt to us right Mm -hmm. we don't choose growing up but then you have always have the choice especially as you mature to to raise that consciousness, to really think. And that, I think that's what empowerment's all about. Um, so I'm curious how that, that led to Praxis, where how, like, how long were you in college? And then like, what was, how did you find that? And uh, yeah, tell us that story. So I did college for one semester and I was like, okay, I'm done. Uh, so I lived in Florida briefly while I, I did college. And then I realized that it was, 
Florida as a whole wasn't good, but also college wasn't good. Um, but I still kind of had it in my head, like maybe it was just that college. So I moved back home and had every intention of applying to Western Michigan University, which was super, super close to home, felt like a safer choice. And then shortly after I got back, my father had, he had come across one of Isaac's interviews on Fox and Friends, or I think it was just Fox, Fox News. And my, my dad had always kind of said in passing, oh, I think college is overrated. And he's someone who, he did go to college, but he had it paid for by his employment. So he's, he's in this mindset already of, it's only worth it if someone else pays for it. Um, I would go a step further and say, probably not even worth it if you're wasting time. Um, but so he showed me this and I was, I remember thinking, wow, is that, is that real? It's on, it's on TV. It's gotta be real. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> not the best, uh, maybe not the best critical thinking skills on my part. But yeah. <laughs> do it more. Um, <laughs> and I think I waited about a, about close to a year to apply. And part of it was because I knew it was such so competitive to get into this program they're very selective about who they pick and i wanted to i wanted to feel secure in my portfolio and who i was before i applied because i wasn't sure if i could reapply if i was rejected at that point and so it was probably around november of 2017 that i decided to apply and this was shortly after I'd done a bunch of projects for the small movie theater that I worked for. And so I had a bit of a portfolio built up. I was so nervous for all of the, all of the interview steps for Praxis. There was this point where there's a one-way interview and my voice was so shaky. I knew it. <laughs> um, but I, the whole time, I just remember thinking, this is, this is it. This is, it's Praxis or bust because there's nothing else that I want to do there's nothing else that makes sense to me and uh it was probably i want to say that the process was about three weeks so so were you questioning your, on your own the the nature of college i mean what was that semester like you, it was just boring it wasn't that it was just boring it was that they gave me when I was signing up for classes, they gave me this sheet of all the different classes that I had to fulfill in order to get to my associates. And I needed to have like three credit hours in some sort of a, I think it was like language arts or something. And one of the things that qualified was a class about historical theater. And I remember I signed up for that class and I was like, oh, I like theater, okay. And then as I was going through this class, the prospect of how dumb that I had to do things about theater in order to get a degree in marketing, the fact that it's set up in such a way, I mean, I could have picked a different class. However, the classes within that sphere of things also would not have applied. And also there are plenty of other places where it's required to have a really stupid credit to that you have to pay for, you have to pay a lot of money for in order to be qualified to be a marketer. And I'm like, that's a bunch of bull. 
And also considering the amount of money it costs, it's just not worth the financial investment. It's not worth the time investment. It just didn't make any sense to me. So at that point, I was like, what in the world? Also, I really didn't like my teacher, but. Um, yeah, so it speaks to that nature of these, you know, K, whether it's K, K through 12 or a college situation. And college, of course, tends to be more specialized, um, but there's still that element of, of lack of trust. Like you need to take this because that makes you well-rounded. And without us requiring you to do this, then you wouldn't be learning what you need to learn. And it's just, it's not really respecting, again, the will, and it's not respecting your curiosity and then, and also just your need for, for, um, for purpose. Like what's, where is this going? You know? Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing is it is, it is essentially a system of control of, of, I mean, they're essentially saying we're the experts and you need us in order to be happy, successful and don't go looking for your own information for anything because we it's just us it's the experts always rely on the experts and don't go doing any searching for yourself and what college still relies on is it relies on the system that is pre-internet where all of the information is available to you for a fraction of the cost and so they i mean that in and of itself makes college worth less while they're charging the highest prices they have ever charged and the whole mindset around it is just that you you need us it's a manipulation tactic and that should freak people out yeah and you know it's one of those things where is an individual who's a professor in that system um sort of malicious about it or or not it doesn't really matter it's more like this is the system that's been going on sort of non-consciously for generations. And if we, if we, if we engage our volition, right. And we question like, what is the nature of learning? What is the nature of, of education? Then you can really take charge. Um, but I'm curious about what might have pushback you might've gotten. I mean, I know your dad was more kind of on board, but you know, I, I would say the most common reason people go to college is not for the piece of paper that's probably the second most reason, popular reason. But the most popular reason, whether people um, admit this or not, is to, is to be normal in their mind, right? Where they're going through high school and, you know, ha having talked to high school students myself, um, it, it's, it's, it's quite a strong current, um, even if they're kind of uh, seeing what I'm saying about praxis or self-directed living and learning, um, there's so much momentum, but from, from their, from their teachers and counselors, but there's also just this social pressure from their peers. And it's not so much pressure. It's, it's, it's just really, they, they have, they want to feel connected, right. To their friends. And if they're different, then that's can be terrifying. Maybe that's too strong a word, but it can be uncomfortable mm -hmm. if you do something that's different than most people. So, I mean, you went to public school and, I'm curious, you know, were there friends in your life or, you, or other people in your life that when you said, you know what, I'm done with college, I'm going this other route, was that something that was uncomfortable for you and did you get pushback? So I'm really lucky that the people within my home sphere were pretty open-minded. Um, 
That's not to say that the general public and friends always were. Um, a lot of people did have that mindset of, oh, you just go to college to be successful. That's what you need. And a lot of people would even use the argument, you even get, you get paid more for having a degree. And that's based on a false statistic. And um, so the biggest pushback I would get frequently was actually, I worked at a library and I was the youngest, I was the youngest employee. And so frequently, you know, old people, as talkative as they are, love them. A lot of them actually would ask me um, in passing, like, oh, um, you're really young. Are you in college? What are you doing? And I'd be like, no, just working, um, you know. And, and I actually would get a surprising amount of pushback from, from elderly people of, what are you doing? You're going to throw your life away. Uh, you're, you're lucky that you have the opportunity to go to college. And um, my, my thought is I feel luckier that I don't have to go to college and that I have the critical thinking and ability to, to carve my own path and to figure things out by myself. I, that's so much more empowering than feeling like you need to rely on, on a system for your success and, and playing the game. It, I don't want to play anybody's game. And, and why would you? Uh, yeah. It, and I think it's college is so many of my friends were just thinking, oh, this is the correct path. This is what everyone's doing. I want the college experience. But I never, none of those things appealed to me, especially not the college experience. Um, I've never had any desire to party or, or be part of Greek or any of those things. So, uh, I mean, eventually I kind of began to formulate this argument of, I mean, very just plain and simple, you know, I just don't want to, <laughs> you know, and then people are like, hmm, what? <laughs> I think, I think just people's reactions were my favorite. I, I really like throwing people off. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I don't want to, it's such a good, good enough reason. You know, it's, it's, it, that's, that's another pillar of self-esteem is, is self-assertiveness and really it's just, if you don't want to, don't, you don't have to do it. You are in charge of your life and you have a hundred percent agency. Um, but oftentimes people don't think they have the agency, right? They think, well, this is what I have to do. And that phrase have to, it's like my pet peeve. It's like, you don't have to do anything. Even if you have a gun to your head, you could have, a, 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 you do have other options. Um, um, or you always have the choice. You're just weighing cost benefits, right? And so when you really see that every single decision in the world is 100% yours, then that's the path towards carving your path, as you said. Great. So, so you enter Praxis. And by the way, I think you're number seven Praxis alum to come on the show. My favorite. And <laughs> perfect. Uh, you know, if, if anyone listening isn't familiar, it's Praxis is a one-year program, six-month of professional boot camp. And then six month apprenticeship, typically at a, a startup company. And it, it's just full of, filled with amazing creative people like yourself, Ali. And it's really all about that idea of creating your own credential and building a portfolio of projects. And you, you, you alluded to that, that you had kind of started doing some theater projects. And I'm curious about um, your, your kind of interest in theater and how did that start? And how did you go about building some projects? 
Um, so theater in general, like acting and stuff, I've always, I actually grew, I pretty much grew up around a theater. Um, the theater that I ended up working at is uh, very near and dear to my heart. It's called the Regent Theater in uh, downtown of the, of the city that I grew up in. And uh, my aunt was the manager there. I believe my mother was the manager there at one point. My father worked there for a very long time as a second job. Um, all of my, most of my cousins work there. I work there. My sister worked there. Um, it's a, it's a single one screen movie theater. Um, and it has, it's, it was built, it became a theater in 1919. So it just, this past year celebrated its hundredth birthday. And I always, I always loved that theater. And on top of that, I always loved attention. Uh, for, for a while growing up, I, uh, I liked, I mean, I would, I would become enraptured in, in movies and TV shows. And I was like, I want to do that. And, um, so having, working at the region theater for my first job was just the perfect fit. I couldn't have asked for a better first job that it, because it is so small, there were a lot of opportunities for, um, I would often propose to the manager different things that we could do on our social media and different uh, methods and different ways of cleaning. And I would, I mean, I got really good at cleaning things from working there just because I, I had a, an emotional investment in how the place looked and was presented. And um, so going down that rabbit hole of, of theater and uh, I did end up creating this project um, the month before Acton, before I applied to not acting praxis basically the same thing kind of. <laughs> um right before i applied to praxis i was like i need to get a legitimate project in and so i proposed to my manager that during october we have these special showings of horror films or or halloween based films and they would happen on saturday nights and we called it shocktober and I wanted to try to build hype around it. And so I proposed that we make some sort of a, a banner, like a picture opportunity for people to post about it online. And, uh, and I created this design and I executed it. I think that there were a lot of things that I could have done a little bit better because I'd never made a piece of art to that scale. It was, I want to say it was like eight feet by eight feet and had to paint that. And it took me like two weeks and so we put it up and it didn't perform as well as I would have liked it to. Part of it is because I think our ads needed to be more targeted. I wasn't the person who chose how the ads went out. It was the, the other person in charge. And, but that was such a learning experience. I was so grateful that my manager at the time allowed me to do that and was, was very supportive of that. I think that's one of the most important things when you have a new job or just any job is to have someone who is supportive of your ideas and treats, treats you like your ideas are valuable, keep them up, you know? Um, so I kind of have always just been involved in theater and wanted in all aspects of it from pushing the button to being in them, to, to creating them. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, the difference between the portfolio approach to a career and, and building projects to prove your ability to create value and the credential approach is, again, it's that it's, it goes back to that volition where you're really deciding to do something. And as opposed to 
follow the rules, be a cog in a wheel. Hey, I did what I'm supposed to. I checked all the boxes. And like, this is, this is obsolete, right? In 21st century, we got to be going towards the creative side. And, and so it's, so even though you kind of, you alluded to that, the fact that it wasn't great, that first project, right? Mm -hmm. It it didn't perform as well as you wanted. Um, But you learned a lot from it and you got into the habit of creating and you move through that resistance of, of putting yourself out there. And I want to dive into that kind of concept more where, you know, one of the things that I uh, came across was a video of you. <laughs> Once you were in your practice program, uh, you were challenged to do a 14 day vlog challenge. And it's a really funny, this is the first video of, of the challenge that I, I saw and, and it's just like three minutes and at the beginning you're just, I, I, I'm not going to be able to recount it perfectly, but you, you are, you're like, I'm not sure what to do in this vlog challenge. Um, and it's just sort of really raw and you felt uncomfortable, but you dived into it and you published it publicly, right? And so that's like, that's the fear you know, that, um, that like Stephen Pressfield's referring to in the war of art and just like this, this vulnerability of the creative process, you're, you're doing something that's expressing who you are, it's showing who you are. And rather than, you know, as opposed to the, the cog in the wheel is just, you, you can hide as long as you're obedient and you do everything you're supposed to. And you check every box from kindergarten to college, right? That's not creative. It's not, it's not authentic. It's not, vulnerable right and so and it's not going to be transforming so when you start the creative process even though even if the first you know the first video that first project isn't your best work it won't be right even if it feels vulnerable even if you mess up but you publish it that act of publishing is transformative and then you build you can build off of it Mm -hmm. so i guess i'm curious for you to speak on that notion of kind of leaning into the discomfort of the first time you begin the creative process? Because say someone's listening who's, who's kind of getting inspired, but they're just feeling a little bit hesitant to start and take that leap and, and publish something, you know? Like, what's it like to really put yourself out there like that? It's, it is scary. Any time that I start a new project, uh, I mean, including with acting and with auditions, those those things that stretch you, they bring out, they bring to the forefront all of the things that you're afraid of. And that's so important for you to grow as a person uh, that anytime you're uncomfortable, not just with projects, but anytime that you want to make a big move, um, like, I went from Michigan to Florida and then Florida to Michigan and then Michigan to California. All of those things were uncomfortable and, but you need that. I, th- I think as human beings, it is so important that we regularly do things that stretch ourselves. That's why so many people who are successful out there, they get up at 4 a.m. and they exercise. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. And so many of the beneficial things in life are meant to 
inherently they require work for a reason because that is what's going to benefit you in the long run because if you are not growing you are either stagnant or you are deteriorating um, your your comfort zone is like a cage and the further you can push that boundary the the more things that you are capable of doing as a person and I think that a lot of people are just afraid of that first step because they're afraid of the commitment they're afraid they know that this is going to be difficult and they're afraid to commit to something knowing that they may possibly fail and they don't like that feeling they don't like the feeling of failure but I've come to believe that failure is significantly better than regret and that's ultimately you you have to find your why for creating anything all art has a why and you will inevitably have things in your life going back to that whole finding a driving force for kind of rebellion of um of people or situations that has to those things contribute to your why and so if you can figure out what the most powerful aspect of your life is that you want to change or completely avoid or, or manifest, those things have to be your why. And then you use those to fuel the commitment to it. And a lot of people see commitment as, as restrictive, but I would argue that the opposite is, is more restrictive. If you, if you fall into poor eating habits, if you pour into, um, if you fall into, um, bad work habits, bad, um, just bad, ooh, bad time management. All of those things end up restricting you more than should you choose to be regimented in a growth process or with a project. All of those things are benefited by, by you putting in the work and the time and using that why. Yeah, if you, if you have the why, then the how and the what fall into place and you can help motivate yourself to, to move through that discomfort. And yeah, it's better to have uh, failures than regrets. I love that, you know, thinking, you know, if someone's struggling to find their why, you know, one tool that I bring out is imagining myself when I'm 85 or 90 years old. And, and having a little conversation with that guy. And oftentimes <clears throat> what he's going to say is don't waste time. Don't waste time. Don't waste time. Right. Because we all have our best self with deep in, within us, right? This, mm -hmm. this idea of there's so many projects you could create. There's so many grants you could apply to. There's so many, you know, and there's so much p possibility within you creatively. And that's really what it means to be human. And, starting on the creative process is going to breed more creativity as well where so 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 if if someone listening is not is still feeling apprehensive you don't have to do a lot right away you don't have to you know you're not going to write an entire movie script at once or whatnot you you just need to open the the document and start writing the first word right start. start get momentum so I'm curious about with this vlog challenge, what, what can you, can you walk us through it all? Like, did you, I mean, first of all, did you complete it? <laughs> so I think I'm going to sound like I have like this failure streak on your podcast. So no, I didn't complete it. I filmed every single day 
for 14 days, but I didn't edit. And there were a lot of reasons for this. Um, I'm, I'm not excusing it. I'm just explaining. Uh, sure. So it didn't, they didn't get published, but you shot them. Right. I shot them. Um, but I gained a lot of self-awareness around why, why I failed. And not only was, was this a difficult time in my life in particular, um, not just because I was moving, but there was a lot of other things going on. Um, you know, and I filmed a lot of interesting things, like my last hangout with, with my, my grandmother on my mom's side, or on my dad's side, my other grandmother on my dad's side. Um, you know, those individual visits and things that were very sentimental that I wish I would have gone back and, and edited those. I still can if I can find those footage. But ultimately, I realized that there were a lot of things holding me back from, from doing that. I've literally wanted to do a YouTube channel for forever, like up until that point where someone's like, hey, why don't you do a vlog challenge? I'd always wanted to do a channel. Um, but in failing, I had to look back and, and evaluate, okay, why didn't I sit down and take the time to edit those videos really? It wasn't really that I didn't have the time. I didn't make the time. So why didn't I make the time? And I, I realized a lot of my insecurities and things that I had to work on as a person. I, mean, I for one, I cared too much about what I looked like. I was concerned that I was going to post these videos and people were going to be like, man, she's ugly. Uh, <laughs> which I think is very, it's very human, especially, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, all of us kind of deal with those different insecurities. And then also the, I, I was a little bit afraid of judgment in general, not just about the way that I looked, but also um, what are, what are my friends going to think? Are they going to think I'm super dorky for this? I'm not portraying myself in the way that I wish that people would see me. And I got so focused on that. And instead of being just like you said, with my first video authentic, I started to overthink it. And I started to get concerned, like, oh, people are going to think that, you know, maybe think that I'm poor because I can't afford a nicer car, or they're going to think that I'm, um, I'm a loser because whatever reason, I just started to overthink all of those things. And so going back to the whole failure thing, even if you fail, you're going to learn something through the process about yourself. And it's so important for your growth as a person and to be a good happy, healthy human being that you gain those senses of self-awareness um, in, in all of those different things. That includes um, physical, that includes mental, and all, and all of them are different, but you will always inevitably learn something new through failure. So you don't really technically fail because you gain something in the process. Yeah, actually, I love that you're, you're fleshing this out because oftentimes in these podcasts, we, we hear these great stories of someone who overcame the adversity and then they had their big triumph. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's just as raw. Like, Ali failed, everybody. It is on the record. But you uh, did not fail to try, you know, which is, which is, which is wonderful. And you gain that, you gain that self-knowledge and, and you, you, that self-awareness, you leaned into it. Um, you did publish, you know, you did publish at the beginning and you put yourself out there and, you know, I'm sure, sure that helped snowball towards other creative outlets. Like, you know, you're still doing acting, 
And obviously that's a similar type of experience oftentimes where you're, you're putting yourself out there and I'm curious, I mean, can you, can you, can you connect those dots? I mean, did the vlog challenge, the little lesson you learned there, um, help you in your acting? It, it opened me up to it a, a bit. What's, what's interesting about something I've realized because I did try to start a vlog after like more recently around March, I tried and then I was like, okay, this is all of it just isn't good uh, because it was right before quarantine hit. And then I was like, okay, all the things I was gonna do, I can't. <laughs> um, but what's super interesting about the difference between doing a vlog and acting is that with acting, you have to, you, you have to be aware that the camera's there and know your, know your, not your angles, but know that you're in the frame, be aware of where you are in relation to the camera and, and what it is that the director wants. And you have to juggle all these things on top of acting well, that you don't even necessarily, you don't even 100% think about, okay, what do I look like in the camera right now? Whereas with vlogging, you are staring directly into the camera lens, addressing the audience, which feels super weird because it, the way in, in my brain that I process it is I'm watching someone on YouTube and I'm like, how are they so natural? They're, they're just talking to me. It feels like they're talking to me. But when you're sitting there with a camera in your face, you're like, how do they, how do they do it so naturally? And I have had told people tell me before, um, after they saw that uh, first vlog, they're like, you're really natural at talking to the camera. I'm like, really? Uh, but it's so, it is so different, but you do need to have a sense of self-awareness around it and something that I've found super interesting with vlogging and with taking pictures. I'll do photo shoots and for the most part my uh, my clientele has been uh, a lot of the actors at the studio that I'm at for the most part and it's a challenge for them to be in front of the camera in that way because now they have to be conscious of now they're only conscious of what they look like and that can bring out some insecurities sometimes and that's one of the reasons why I love it so much because I can help other actors grow in their self-awareness of that and also grow beyond that. So they can feel natural in front of the camera in different settings. Cause there are times where we'll have to act directly to the camera. It's difficult. Uh, and, and generally acting is done with another person. So you're so focused on the other person and making the scene real that you're not even focused on the lens. And so going back into doing photo shoots and stuff, it's, it brings brings a new level of that self-awareness and also i genuinely believe that a lot of people don't know what they look like and so even we'll we'll do playback in acting class where we will do a scene we'll record it and then we'll watch it back um a different class and we'll get feedback on how we feel like that recorded performance was and those are so hard to watch for a lot of people just because they're not used to seeing themselves that way. Um, they're not, we see ourselves through a mirror. And so we see a flipped image of ourselves. We see ourselves through the front facing camera on our iPhone, which can enlarge our nose by about 20%. Um, I've, I know <laughs> kind of things. And so people genuinely don't know what they look like. Um, and that's, that was kind of one of the things that I realized when I was trying to grow from this self-image insecurity that I've had, that I've had to work through for most of my life, um, was starting to get comfortable with seeing myself and having that self-awareness of 
that's what I look like and being comfortable with that. A lot of people just genuinely don't know. And so then when they see it in, in, a, in a, someone else's photo of them, they're like, oh my gosh, I look like that. Which even then, lighting's change. Um, uh, different camera lenses do different things. And so all of it has so much to do with self-awareness and, and just being comfortable in your own skin. And that's so hard for so many people. But if you can do that, you have an edge up on everybody, including in acting. But I mean, life in general. I'm sure you found in acting that when you let go of that, that's where you really are in the moment. That's when you're at your creative peak and the creative flow. When you let go of the self-consciousness as a performing artist and you stop caring what people think. But, that, but that's like the typical sort of lizard brain programming we have is I want to be accepted by the tribe. Right? That's how we feel vulnerable, I think biologically when we're in these situations because you're putting yourself out there you're showing if you really show your truest self you know and of course if you're acting you're not showing yourself but you when you if you're acting i mean correct me if i'm wrong but if you're acting in a, uh, an artistic way and in, in, um, an effective way then you're becoming you're becoming that character and you are also putting yourself into that yeah, absolutely. And letting go of any sort of, of coach, like inner coach and, and self-consciousness. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really wonderful and, and challenging and aspect of like being a human, I think. Um, but I'm curious about, I, I was going to ask, have you read The Alchemist? I haven't. Should I, should I put that on my list? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I'm, I actually have like three or four pages left to go, but <laughs> It's, I, I just thought of that because it speak, we're kind of talking about failing. We're talking about striving, this need for challenge, this need for growth. And the base, I mean, it's a wonderful little novel about this uh, Spanish young shepherd boy who goes off and to search for his treasure in the um, Egyptian pyramids. And that's his, he, he at first was wanted to stay comfortable and just, stay a shepherd but then was inspired to go pursue his personal legend and his his you know pursue his hero's journey basically uh and there's all these he has all these experiences and failures and and mishaps and gets robbed and 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 learns to sell crystals and and confronts you know uh people who are threatening to kill him and all these things that are, that are going on and he meets a woman he falls in love with, but then he's, he leaves her to go keep finding his treasure. And throughout the book, you, you keep seeing what the real theme is. The real message is the, the process is really the, the beauty in it is the process of alchemic change, right? You are actually changing your neurons are changing when you pursue something, fail or succeed. The process of, sh of pursuing your dreams, right, is worthwhile in, its, of, in and of itself because of this process of growth. And yeah, I, I, I just want to throw that in there, I guess, because I mean, I noticed that like when I did, like I did a 30 day blog challenge and had a lot, a lot of those fears and didn't know what I was doing. I had, I had, I had to really think and plan hard 
just to get one post post out there. And then I had all these insecurities about pressing publish and completed that eventually and just build a lot of confidence from that. And now I'm blogging. I've been blogging every day for almost a year now. And it's just what I do. Um, and I grew from that. I leaned into that and it's still a little uncomfortable, but, um, it's, it's, I've completely grown from the process. Um, and that's just, and there's so, and there's so many ways that that can transfer into other areas of life, just building confidence. Uh, and so there's just more and more reasons, dear listener, to pursue your creative bliss mm -hmm. because it, there's, there can be so many ripple effects from that. Um, so yeah, I'm curious about what you're working on now. So like, let's, let's keep talking about failure for a minute. Like, what's what are you striving towards right now what habits are you trying to change or what what creative projects or what's 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 difficult let's 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 flesh out the failure topic i love that oh my god you just i mean do you want me to start from the time i was born and, and talk about <laughs> there's a lot i'm kidding um no, because like you're you're crushing it ali like you're you're working you're editing a podcast that's like bringing on seth godin and Gary V and your skipped college and your social media marketer extraordinaire. I'm, I mean, you're doing really well um, from what I can see, um, but I'm sure there's, there's more things you're working on. And I'm curious, like, I, I, I want to flesh it out more because we already started to, and it, it, it's such a common thing in our culture, right? Like with, with like social media, right? And everyone can just kind of polish their image. Yeah. And it's so easy to compare yourself. Oh, look at that person with their success. And, mm -hmm. but really, you know, there's a great quote, something like, you know, don't compare your other people's highlight reels to your own insecurities. Mm -hmm. Like we all, we all have got something we're working on. Yeah. So what are you working on right now? So many things. Um, when I when I really think about it, I'm like, man, I'm maybe I've got more than I can handle. Um, one of one of the very basic level things is that I'm trying to. So I'm starting with my diet. I've been doing keto for a while. Um, I found that I just feel so much better on keto, and I operate on a higher level. I cheat. I accidentally cheated. Like yesterday and so my brain isn't working as great today and honestly I, 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 can, I can feel it. It actually comes out in, in my behavior and in my attitude. Like I was feeling super ornery this morning and I was like yep it's because it's I had too many carbs. Um, but so I'm doing that and I'm starting with the diet getting that dialed in and then my theory is that if I, if I can get that down and then I can start to incorporate a stronger exercise regimen and then if I can do that then I can start getting up earlier because my goal is like 4.30 in the morning. So that way I can, oh. I can have the workout then. I know because I don't, I, I really need some me time at the very beginning of the day. I just really think I could benefit from that. And I think everyone probably could if that's their preference. Um, and so I really, and I think that would help my productivity levels on a massive scale. And I mean, getting up early is so helpful. I'm even just the, forcing yourself to get up even though you don't feel like it is so important for your self-confidence and also just your trust in yourself that you can you can do the goal that you said that you were gonna do 
Um, so that's one of the things I'm working on. And then I just took up a part-time job working for, basically I'm building an entire brand um, with this with this store that just recently opened up in downtown Sacramento. And it's an old couple, they're very sweet, um, but I'm gonna be working with them for the next couple of months in my spare time to help them to be social media literate and to the point where they don't need me is the goal that they eventually this this goal this uh this job is supposed to be temporary and then um eventually they'll be able to do it themselves and never have to pay other people for these things again and so got that and then i'm working on a blog i've been I've been kind of holding back on starting the website, but the blog is going to be very specific. I've already written probably about 15 different blog posts, a few I have to polish up a bit. I'm probably going to write a couple more and I'm going to have them all published when I launch. And uh, I really want it to be specific to young women because I feel it, I feel very strongly, especially with doing the Essential Eleven podcast, that there is not a ton of perspective for young women when it comes to different problems that we come up with in high school, things that really don't matter that much, but at the time feels like it's the end of the world. And I feel as though I can, while I'm also learning about a lot of these things and I'm processing these things as a young female, I can also be writing about it and um, and using it to help other young women who maybe feel like they need that kind of support in their lives. I, I, the way I want to formulate it is uh, basically something that can eventually put Teen Vogue out of business. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, that's that's the goal, but I probably a little bit big, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, yeah, so that's been my main, that's been one of the things that's been on my mind a lot lately is, is just working through different concepts and things to write for that, um, different things that would appeal to young people. How do I write from a kind perspective? Because I can tend to be a little bit blunt. Uh, I think young women might need something a little bit kinder. Uh, <laughs> and well, that's probably because I spend a lot of time with my boss, Matt, but also I have always been kind of blunt in general. Uh, <laughs> and my writing style tends to take that up. Um, but those are those are really the main things that I've I've been doing lately, and then just dialing it in on the Essential Eleven podcast. We want to start advertising. We really want to push that because we've got some episodes that feel super solid, and we just want to start building growth for that around um, brand building, but also building up awareness around Acton Academy and start driving revenue for uh, specifically for scholarships for the kids here at Acton. I love that about the the Teen Vogue competitor project. And yeah, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of teens who are kind of in the bubble, right? Both male and female, kind of like seeing their whole world as their high school or whatnot. Um, and that, that, that sounds like a worthwhile project. So you're working on being more gentle in your writing. Is that one <laughs> thing that's challenging for you? Yeah, I tend to be very brutal. Um, I think, and this is very frequent to my mindset, is if I feel as though, if, if there's a subject in particular where I feel like I've done the work to research it, to understand it fully, then, and it should be easier for, for you to accept this as the truth, but um, I know that is not the case and should not be the case. I think that everyone needs, needs uh, 
everyone needs to be vetted and checked and no one should be free of that um, because that's how critical thinking happens and that's how uh, you you can decide what things are helpful and beneficial and so um, but particularly with young women I think there's a lot of sensitive subjects there's things that I've talked through with my friends where I'm like this is my opinion on it and they're like whoa Ellie calm down young young women are gonna read this uh, maybe maybe you should calm like dial that back a little bit like in particular uh, just for an example um, talking about you know things like drug use or drinking I'm very straightforward like don't <laughs> um, like don't do it just because it's not helpful or beneficial to you especially as a young person but um, my friend the way I'd presented it to her she's essentially like dude young girls need kindness they need love you can't just you can't just make them feel like bad people for for doing those things what if they've already done them <laughs> and I'm like okay I, I guess I could be a little bit nicer in the way I write it um, but I tend to get stuck on things things being the correct way and um, that's another thing that I definitely think I have to work on is just being a little bit more, a little bit more open <laughs> in general, because <laughs> um, I do get stuck in certain mindsets and I'm like, this is the most helpful, beneficial way. Let's do it this way. <laughs> and that's not always the most helpful or beneficial <laughs> way to handle conversations. <laughs> it's hard to have that communication uh, where you have a message that's maybe it's the truth it's the harsh truth it, but it's the truth is the truth right so you just want to say it but yeah. the reality is we have we as humans have emotions and psychological mechanisms uh going left and right so you know you can as a as a communicator you can say well people should just accept the truth and i'm not going to change you know that they should be able be open to the truth and you can say that but the question is do you have a goal to be an effective communicator or not right so you can so being cognizant of where people are you know meeting them where they're at and how is it that your message is going to land yeah. you know that is that is an art right there and that's that's great that you're bringing some awareness to it and what i also just thought about a second ago is another theme of the podcast is just improvement by one percent you know a, just a little bit of improvement a day and how that can create results and so that's really empowering when you can just begin by shining light on an area of growth mm -hmm. and then accepting that you're not going to be that you're that you're a fallible creature you're going to make mistakes and then but deciding to address it and just say okay how can i just this blog post have a little bit more gentleness in my message so that this truth lands yeah and that's all you need and it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the creative process you don't need to write the whole movie script just start get a little bit of momentum lean forward a bit and man you can really see results over over time right yeah and i mean it's it's setting realistic goals for yourself as well um i mean you can say just start but then sometimes people are like okay but where where do i where, where do i start okay start with like literally map out something small and obtainable so that way you have the mental reward the dopamine from 
achieving that rather than saying, like you said, writing an entire movie script, that's such a harder goal and you will feel more prone to failure. So if you create something that's more realistic and then build from there, it's, it's that whole compound effect theory. Yeah. And also, I don't know what your thoughts on goals are, but I'm like averse to the word most of the time. Um, But just in the idea of goals, meaning I'm going to achieve this, you know, in the next three months. Mm -hmm. And then there's like this pressure to achieve it. I mean, I'm not like, I have a list of 2020 goals. Um, Like I'm not like uh, dogmatic about my relationship to goals, but I do tend to, I do think it can be more effective when you think about systems and habits mm-hmm. in a daily basis yeah. rather than the bigger uh, goal. Like um, instead of, instead, and James Clear talks about this in Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. which is also, he talks about this 1% improvement, improvement idea where create systems and become a type of person rather than achieve a goal. So rather than lose 15 pounds, like, uh, you know, do 10 pushups a day mm-hmm. and you just execute on the specific next step. And that can, that can apply to creativity as well. We talked about like, like the vlogging challenge, the blogging challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, just write a movie script, just write three paragraphs a day and then you'll look up a year later. Right. So it really is really, it's really empowering to just think about the small steps. Right. Yeah. And, and to, uh, it's what it's doing is creating that self-discipline, the self-discipline muscles that you have to build up in order to do it, even when you don't feel like doing it. Like that's one of the things that's so beneficial about the 30 day writing challenge is that each and every day, even though you may not feel like it, you decided to do it anyway. And that's where you're going to grow and become the kind of person that does do the thing. I love that phrase, like be the type of person. You just decide I'm going to be the type of person that, you know, gets up early, you know, or, you know, just have a specific action. Yeah. So give us the pitch for kind of Acton Academy um, and Essential 11 podcast. I, I love what they're doing. Acton story of, of creating an environment where there's just a lot of freedom and a lot of choice and self-direction yeah. and self-management for, for young people. It's, it's, uh, it was founded in Austin originally. And now there's, um, a network of, of actins around the world. And like, like what's, what's, what's been something that you've observed in that environment. That's, that's really um, noteworthy. Freedom. There's so much freedom to be who you are and to live in the process and appreciate the process. It's, it's liberating uh, to going back to what I'd said about wishing that I had an environment like this as a kid, uh, it genuinely does prepare people for life. We are each of, we have a philosophy that every kid at Acton is a genius. They're just their own specific kind of genius. And so we treat every single kid like their own divine kind of genius. And when you treat them like that and with, with a level of respect and dignity, everyone here has the same, everyone here is equal. And we genuinely treat people like that. It's not even just that we're, we're saying, oh, we're equal here. It's genuinely that. And the kids lead things. Kids learn to be leaders and we figure out who the leaders are and, and like the true, the pure leaders who are, who are more um, prone to that kind of 
um, I guess, role. But the kids really are leading their own education. And that's so important in a world where you need to lead your own life. If you can lead your, if you can start with the education and your own learning and your own self, then there's never that point after you graduate where you're like, wow, this is a lot of freedom. I never had this before. Uh, because then there are people who fall apart without that structure of um, the public school system. So what Acton essentially is, is a workplace for kids. They are creating their own, they're creating their own work that they're doing every day. And it's never, we don't have the kind of environment where kids are waiting to be told what to do next. They just know. They just know what they need to be doing to be productive and to grow. And the guides are only here to help facilitate what the kids already know, what they're already holding each other accountable to. And I remember when I, when I first got here, I was so confused. I was so confused about everything that was happening. The teachers aren't teachers, they're guides because they're not standing in front of the studio classroom uh, teaching the kids anything. The kids are teaching themselves because ultimately that's what the case is now in life is you have to teach yourself things. All of the information is available to you on the internet or in a book. And so these kids are creating their own projects from start to finish and then showing them to their parents. And they are, there's no grade system. It's just, did this challenge you? Does your studio feel that this, do, do they agree? Do they see the work that you put in? And it's, it's a community-based thing. It's so amazing. There's no one really in charge of anybody. They're just accountable to each other, like a community. And the, the culture here is, it's so important to maintain that in this kind of a system where we're so intentional about who we take in that we really want to make sure that we're having people who are going to be conducive, who aren't going to um, be, I guess, focused on, focused on the grades and focused on things that aren't productive. Uh, that's, it, it's honestly amazing. And so um, focus on the entrepreneurial mindset. Kids build their own projects every single year where they create their own business and they sell a product or service and they have to learn about marketing and branding and sales and all of those things, which is amazing. I live for that time of year. It's so good. Is that the children's business fair? Yeah, children's business fair every year. We were, I mean, we had to push it back because, you know, Rona, but <laughs> we'll probably end up having like just a over the top one this coming year and um, not 100% sure. We're, we're watching how things go. I saw uh, on the Austin Academy, Acton Academy website a little video about the children's business fair and it's just like, it's just like, makes me so happy to see these kids yeah. empowering themselves, creating, learning by doing and, and doing something that they're interested in. I mean, there's just so many, they're firing on, on all cylinders, you know, there's so many real life soft skills that they're learning. Um, it's just, it, you know, and it just makes me feel even more sad for all the kids that are just sitting in desks and doing assignments that they don't want to do, you know? But like it's 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 really programs like Acton that are, you know, they're they're starting and the Praxis Acton, there's Sudbury Valley School, there's I mean there's different like variations of of sort of self-directed programs for different ages. But um, you know, it's really starting to catch on more, and it's really exciting and showing the world that kids can be autonomous, right? When you give them the freedom. You give them the trust. You trust their mind, right? It goes back to the beginning of our conversation where you were engaging your will and volition 
and you were like, no, I'm going to do this. Uh, and it, it's just avoiding from the onset any sort of autonomy wars between adults and children and saying, hey, you, I, you little person have a mind just like I have a mind as an adult. And it's the same will, you know, and we respect the will and the autonomy and we trust them to learn. Then it's just beautiful. Right. And that can blossom a whole new adult world. So that's what gets me really excited. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, that actually reminds me of a story of, I mean, of how I realized that Acton is so different from public school. Um, when I was in kindergarten, there was this girl named Cassandra and she wanted to be my best friend. Um, I did not want to be her best friend. Um, and I remember this one time we were sitting at the tables and then we got called over to uh, go sit on the, on the reading carpet for reading time, story time. And Cassandra immediately grabs my arm and she's pulling me, yanking me to go sit next to her. And I pull my arm away. I'm like, no, that's mine. And I go to my own like little secluded area because I've always been a little bit of an introvert sometimes. And she starts crying. Miss Putney, the teacher at the time, she, she grabs my arm very angrily and she goes, you don't be mean to people. Like she took Cassandra's explanation of I just ripped myself from her because I'm mean and don't want to, don't want to be around her. And I got sent to the principal's office and my first, I think it was within my first two weeks of Acton, there was, I saw an argument between two young girls about the age that I was. And uh, this one girl was, she seemed kind of upset. She was sitting next to me. This was before the altercation happened. And she seemed down and I was like, oh, what's going on? She's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm like, you don't seem fine. She goes, this other girl won't leave me alone. And I just really want some personal space. Like she could articulate this at such a young age. Yeah. And that was amazing. And then the girl that she was talking about from across the room heard her started crying and she's like i heard that that's really mean and sobbing she just started sobbing and i'm sitting there like i don't know what to do i've never been in this situation of the adult figure and then one of the guides comes up and he kind of got a bearing of what was going on he goes okay so it looks like she just wants some alone time right now so how about we just let her have that and like maybe you can talk to her later and see if she's in the mood to play but until then like how, how about we give her the space that she wants and in my brain i was like wait that's kids can have bodily autonomy here like that i never even realized in my brain that that was what had happened to me in kindergarten was wrong and that the school system was was wrong in that instance um to to take Cassandra's side over mine rather than saying oh she has bodily autonomy too it's not just about kindness it's about you know being kind to yourself like every each kid allowed should be allowed to do with themselves what they please and as long as it's you know responsible within um within reason and yeah that was that was the first thing that really happened at Acton was like this is something totally different and I like it yeah, so often in those situations, conventionally, the kids are either, you know, punished and then there's this um, 
forced apology. That's a big thing where it's like, you need to say sorry. And the, the, the adult thinks that without this commandment, that then there will never be any sort of amends made, right? It goes back to trust. It's like, when you, when you see that, but you trust the child to be able to identify their own needs. And then by extension, if they can develop their own, their own self-awareness like that, they'll have more empathy for other kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one wants to hurt somebody else. Yeah. Right. And it's like giving that space for the kids to figure things out and yeah. engage their own capacity for, com- for compassion, empathy, and, and trust and communication. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a whole, it's a fresh, mm-hmm. it's a fresh uh, perspective. And then tragically in, in these conventional systems, there's just a whole lot of, of tradition and interge- intergenerational transfer of these power over kind of mindsets where the, uh, and I've seen it and I've like, I've had, I've had difficult times like working in that system. I'm thankfully now out of the system, but, um, it's been that you see like it's in the, the the it's baked into the the ingredients of the system are like this whole premise of of one person is in charge and one person's going to order somebody else and and it, 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 it and it's it's just it's trained into everybody and there's like suspensions and punishments and detentions and someone's wrong someone's right rather than like really trying to be curious and compassionate and connected about, Hey, what's going on for you? Hey, what's going on for you? And if we can, and even for the adults, like the adults are often like stressed out. They're really want to help the kid, but then they, they don't have necessarily the tools. They don't realize there's other, there's a third option. Right. And so I love the acting is one example of like creating a new model, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I could talk for hours on this, but uh, this has been a, a joy and a pleasure to unpack some of these topics. And thanks for sharing your failures. And please uh, let us know where people can find you. Yeah. So um, right now, my Instagram handle is Allie from the Valley. Um, it's uh, just A-L-Y underscore from the Valley. Um, I will be posting there when I have my new blog launched. And so I'd say keep, keep an eye out for that. I'm really excited. I'm going to be incorporating a blog type thing with that. And uh, everything else is pretty much connected through there. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Ali. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah.